today. If you'd like to take your Bibles and turn there, Joshua, at the end of 21, we'll be going into 22, and it's been a, a wonderful book, but this piece that we're in, for most of us, maybe if you're a Bible scholar, you've studied these things before, most of us haven't really looked at this passage of Scripture much. We have a story today. The next three weeks are three three times that Joshua calls together the people of Israel, and our, our, our text today is something that may be new to you. But the topic shouldn't be. It's about rest. Rest is really important. And I, and I don't mean a Sunday afternoon nap. <laughs> I like resting. Um, watching, Taking back, watching football, that's not very restful these days. The Seahawks are not restful. But, but overall, the idea of rest is really important. I don't mean busyness, because you can be really busy and be at rest. I mean the idea of biblical rest, the idea that we have, in essence, peace with God in every situation through our day. We have it. But we're talking today about being robbed of rest because functionally speaking, many of us, if you're with me, I I slip into this too, we, we let go of our rest. We lose it. We live our days in some anxiety, in some... um uncertainty. We, we actually have portions of our day where we're, we don't functionally ask, act like or live like we are at rest. And so I want to establish that for you today. I want you to think about it. I want you to dwell in it. I want you to take a step back and realize what rest is and how we have it, and then the things that might take it away. I want to look at two particular things today. One's a, a, a real concern. They're both real concerns, but one of them is a, a deep one. Now we're going to do it from Joshua, this amazing book of Joshua. Today's passage gets a little closer to us because we've been through now most of Joshua. Joshua, as you know, is about how God goes before Israel. God fights for Israel. God gives them this promised land that he had promised to Abraham, that he had all the way through said, I'm giving it to you. Then he gives it to them. Then they divide it up. We've looked at all those portions. And so they have this inheritance. And that gets a little closer to us because we have an inheritance. We have a Savior. We have faith in Christ has given us much, hasn't it? We have heaven waiting for us. We have an inheritance kept beyond taking away. So we have it. And yet into that reality where we have an inheritance comes a lack of rest. And I want you to see it, and I'm just going to tell the story from the Bible, from Joshua chapter 21, 22. And then we're going to think about how that applies to us, where, where we connect, because we're not Israel, but we have the same God. Let's think about it. Um, Rob of rest, we'll start first with the giving of rest. This is the end of chapter 21. We'll pick it up in verse 43. If you'll go there with me, here we go. It says this, Thus Yahweh gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And Yahweh gave them rest on every side, just as he'd sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for Yahweh had given their enemies into their hands. Not one word 
of all the good promises that Yahweh had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. <laughs> we could just stop right there. We should stop right there and realize the depth of what God has done. This is an amazing little paragraph. Every single thing that God said he would do, he did, right? Not one word fell to the ground. It was all kept. Now, most people, when you start talking about these things, they throw up maps and they say, what portion did Israel fulfill, go and take? Or what was the map look like, what God gave and how you go? I don't want you going there today. No, I want you to see the reality that God keeps his promises. Right? That word all there. Just dwell on it with me for a minute. The amazing character of our God. All the land he swore, he gave them rest on every side. All their enemies are given over. So this idea of rest is this idea of nobody's after them. Nobody's trying to get them. There's, there's protection from God and he's gone before them. And oh, This is really the theme verse of Joshua in my mind. This is our God. Not one word of what he promises fails. Not one word ever fails. Unlike you and me, his promises are always completely true. Pretty neat. And so with that, with this depth of rest, with this idea that the Lord has done it and it's over, that it's a finished work and he's given them rest on every side, now they are going to go home. And particularly these two and a half tribes that live a little far away. They live on the other side of the Jordan River. And that's the next piece as it keeps going. It says, okay, so at that time, Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And he said to them, you have kept all that Moses, the servant of Yahweh, commanded you and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but you've been careful to keep the charge of Yahweh, your God. This is a commendation, right? They've done good. Good job, you guys. You did it. And now Yahweh your God has given rest to your brothers, as he promised them. Therefore turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, servant of Yahweh, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of Yahweh, commanded you, to love Yahweh your God, to walk in all his ways, and to keep his commandments, and to cling to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. Okay, this is the same flavor, the same wonder as God giving rest. Huh? God, it's, Joshua calls and he blesses them. He says, you did it, you guys. What they had promised was they had land outside the promised land, but they came in and they helped. They didn't, I mean, God went before them, but they went with their other brothers and sisters to tribes, then they all went with them, and, and they took the land. Now, God's given rest. So go, walk in the ways of God. Bless you children, says Joshua. Not just that, but look, now to the one half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan. But to the other half, Joshua had given a possession beside their brothers in the land west of the Jordan. That's the half-tribe bit. And when Joshua sent them away to their homes and blessed them, he said, go back to your tents with much wealth, with very much livestock, with silver and gold and bronze and iron, with much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies 
with your brothers. So the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned home, parting from the people of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead, their own land, of which they had possessed themselves by command of Yahweh through Moses. Okay, so that's a fun picture, isn't it? Fun picture of good things. God gave rest, and then Joshua said, Bless you, you did it, you've done it, good job, go home. And so as they go home, and they go home, oh, and I love it, it's not just silver and gold and iron and stuff, it's a lot of clothes. Clothes are expensive. That's kind of the point, right? Lots of good things. Really fun. God got blessings galore. Our God is a God who gives rest. We could end there, and that would be a picture, a wonderful picture of the rest that God gives and how he um, blessed faithfulness, and these guys are faithful and good example. And Of course, if you go forward a few centuries, we're going to have some trouble. But, but the trouble is not centuries away. It's right away. They have this rest given by God, and right away it gets threatened. That's what I want you to see. Look at this. Rest was given, but then it was threatened. Because it says in verse 10, when they came to the region of the Jordan that's in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. They built this big structure. On the, on the Israelite side, it says they built it there. They, they built something. And the people of Israel heard it. And they said, oh, behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they have built the altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of Jordan on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. Okay. When the people of Israel heard it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. <laughs> Wait a minute, they're at rest. The whole idea of rest is no enemies. And here they are, right away, there's this peace where all of a sudden, oh my goodness, they're going to be at war. The rest will be gone. It just slips away. God gives it, but it's going to slip away because they're going to be at war. What's going on? And the people of Israel sent to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and with him ten chiefs, one from each of the tribal families of Israel, every one of them the head of a family among the clans of Israel. And they came to the people of Reuben, and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, these two and a half tribes on the other side, and in the land of Gilead, and they said to them, Thus says the whole congregation of Yahweh, What is this breach of faith you have committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following Yahweh by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against Yahweh? Have we not had enough of the sin at Peor from which even yet we have not cleansed ourselves? and for which there came a plague upon the congregation of Yahweh, that you too must turn away this day from following Yahweh? And if, if you too rebel against Yahweh today and tomorrow, he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. But now, if the land of your possession is unclean, 
Pass over into the Lord's land where Yahweh's tabernacle stands and take for yourself a possession among us. Only do not rebel against Yahweh or make us rebels by building for yourselves an altar other than the altar of Yahweh your God. What's going on? Is it such a bad thing? Yeah, it's a bad thing. They're really worried, right? They're worried that what's going on is that they're building their own altar. And you know from the Old Testament, if you're a student at all, that God said you should only only give sacrifices at one place, the tabernacle. Now, the temple hadn't been built yet. So where God designated, said, that's where I am. I have this altar, and that's where you come and you do your sacrifices. You don't build another altar. And these guys built another altar. Keeps going. Now, did not Achan, the son of Zerah, break faith in the matter of the devoted things, and wrath fell upon the congregation of Israel? And did he not perish alone? Oh, he did not perish alone from his iniquity. Okay, stop with me for a minute, because you've got to get this. You've got to feel it a little bit. So what happened was they heard that this massive structure had been built, and they knew in their heads, these guys did, that, that, that that's not something they should do. So they, they were, what? Afraid. There's this thing, you see, fear breaks rest. And it, it happens here. They're afraid. Why are they afraid? They're afraid because, because if they're sinning in this way, God won't just be angry at them. God will also be angry at who? Us. I mean, look who they sent. They sent the, the chiefs there and at their head, Phinehas. You remember Phinehas? He's back in Numbers 25. He was the, one of the priests, the son of Eleazar. He's famous for one thing. He says when they had that sin in Numbers 25 where the Moabites and the Israelites were there, he took a spear and he stabbed one couple through the stomach together. Killed them both. Stopped this plague that had killed thousands and thousands of Israelites. So this is the guy, this is the purity police, and he's coming, he's saying, hey, wait a minute, I've got zeal for the Lord. Here I am, and we see this sin happening where they're going to break the commands of the Lord, and so here we're going to go stop it. They come to stop it and say, do you not understand? This is a very good concern, right? Isn't this a good thing? They have a fear that their rest will be lost because of the sin and impurity of those people. And God will get angry at us all because of sin in the camp. You there? You understand that's what's going on? So that's what they've done. They've come and they've said to, to Reuben, goes, hey, you guys, that we're going to war. Forget about this rest thing. We've got to fight. We've got to fight because of your sin. And God will get angry. That's the fear. The fear is God's going to get angry at me because of the sin that you do. So then the people in verse 21 of Reuben, the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they said in answer to the heads of the families of Israel, Oh, the mighty one, God, Yahweh. The mighty one, God, Yahweh. <laughs> they, oh, no, no, no. We, God is great. God is good. He knows and let Israel itself know. If it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against Yahweh, do not spare us today. Or for building an altar to turn away from following the Lord. Or if we did so to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings on it, may Yahweh himself take vengeance. No, no, no. We did it from fear that in time to come, 
your children might say to our children, what have you to do with Yahweh, the God of Israel? For Yahweh has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you. The, you people of Reuben and people of Gad, you have no portion in the Lord. That's what they're afraid. These, these, these kids will say later, it's like, wait a minute, we're in the promised land and you guys are outside. What have you to do with God? So your children, they were thinking, might make our children cease to worship Yahweh. Therefore, we said, let us now build an altar, not for burnt offering, not for sacrifice, but, but to be a witness between us and you, between our generations after us, that we do perform the service of Yahweh in his presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings. So your children will not say to our children in time to come, you have no portion in Yahweh. And we thought, boy, if it should be said to us, our descendants, in time to come, we should say, Behold, the copy of the altar of Yahweh, which our fathers made, not for burnt offerings, nor for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you. So far be it from us that we should rebel against Yahweh, or turn away this day from following Yahweh, by building an altar for burnt offering, grain offering, or sacrifice, other than the altar of Yahweh our God that stands before his All that story. They had rest, and, and, and here they had two pieces that really threatened the rest. One is this idea of watch out purity and sin, and we got to watch out because we could lose the rest because God's angry at sin, and he might come and get us. That's one. And then the second, the other side, they're afraid because they're afraid of what they think. This fear of man piece. Your kids are going to have trouble with our kids. we got to do something. And actually, the very thing that they did caused this ruckus and almost lost their peace, their rest. So it gets restored here. Because it says when Phinehas the priest and the chiefs of the congregation, the heads of the families of Israel who were with him, they heard the words that the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the people of Manasseh spoke. It was good in their eyes. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, said to the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, the people of Manasseh, Today we know that Yahweh is in our midst, because you have not committed this breach of faith against Yahweh. Now you have delivered the people of Israel from the hand of Yahweh. And then Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the chief priest, the chiefs, they returned from the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the land of Gilead, to the land of Canaan, to the people of Israel. Brought back word to them. The report was good in the eyes of the people of Israel. And the people of Israel blessed God and spoke no more of making war against them to destroy the land where the people of Reuben and the people of Gad were settled. So the people of Reuben and the people of Gad called the altar witness. For, they said, it is a witness between us that Yahweh is God. Scene drops, that's the end. What an interesting story. Crisis averted, right? So the little misunderstanding is basically what happened. There's misunderstanding. So you got one side was fearful of what they were going to do in the future, and so they did this thing. The other side didn't understand why the thing was done, and so they're ready to go to war and fight over it because they're for the purity of God. If I was going to step back, I would say, okay, there's two reasons there. One of the reasons is not good. I mean, why would you fear man? Fear of man is not a good thing. The other one I totally get. I mean, that, isn't that true? We've got to have purity in the camp. Phineas, wow, you know, he's zealous for God, and he's making sure that they follow and they obey the law.
What in the world does it mean for me? Dax, can't we just go back to the New Testament? Well, think about it with me for a minute. I know there's a gap. We don't have the same relationship with God that they had. I know we're under a different covenant. But think about it this way with me for a minute, will you? Will you consider with me that we have rest? Do you believe it? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is our rest? This is to me, you could almost state the gospel in those terms. Jesus Christ has given me rest. By his work on the cross, by what he did, by him going to the cross and living a perfect life, dying and shedding his blood for me, he is my rest. And in fact, to be in Christ is the description of the Christian. So here I am, I'm telling you today, you have rest. Rest in the sense of peace, not rest in the sense of a nap, not rest in the sense of no busyness. Rest in the sense of everything you do has already been in this finished work of Christ for you. So you have these statements from Jesus. For example, in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, says Jesus, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. It's the idea of your labor, not, not, not having to work towards something to get wages. Having to be in a place where you actually need to get favor from God. Merit. We get heavy laden. We have no rest. And Jesus says, wait, come to me. I'll give it to you. That's why you had what we read this morning in Hebrews chapter 4. So then there remains a Sabbath rest. There's one word in the Greek, Sabbath rest. It's, it's Jesus himself is our Sabbath rest. He says our, our Sabbath rest remains for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Do you understand what he's saying? He's not saying you never do any work anymore. He's rested from his works, the works you have towards a, a meritorious response. In order to obtain the favor of God, we, we work, we do things, we, we have our own personal behavioral obedience, and we do those things in some people's minds so that God will give you favor. And the Bible says, wait, you have favor. You've entered rest. Jesus' work is finished. His righteousness is complete. You have no more righteousness than Jesus already did. His work is done, and so he's seated at the right hand of God. He gives you his righteousness. You're at rest. That doesn't mean you don't respond, you don't work. You don't work meritoriously, right? This is the gospel. I'm at rest. This is such a deep and wondrous thing. All the time I should live in it. I should live in the wonder of this diamond that I'm walking around at rest. And yet, if you're like me at all, you don't experience it. Most of us are not at rest. Unless we're on vacation. Without the kids. So, and what takes away from our rest are these two things that we just got to see in the Old Testament, right? The first one's easy to see how bad it is. The fear of man takes away your rest. Isn't that what it was? These guys stopped having rest because they were afraid of what other people were thinking of them. Instead of realizing all that mattered was, was God for them and was God like shining his face upon them and, and God had given them rest, the Bible tells us, and they'd done a great job, the Bible tells us, and they'd been affirmed, the Bible tells us, they got worried about what other people were going to think about them and their kids. Started the whole thing. That's wrong, right? I mean, fear of man is a snare, the Bible says. 
all over we slip into this. We're people who care a lot about what other people think. It shapes a lot of our decisions. We allow ourselves to take our eyes off the rest we have, the approval we have in God, and we put it on other people and wanting other people to approve of us. And this is a big problem. We come back to the gospel. We come back to Christ, and we realize it's a struggle. It's a struggle for me. It's a struggle for most pastors. I want you to like me. I'm not that likable. So what do you do? You struggle with fear of man. So that, that's a problem, right? There's, a, there's another deeper problem here, though. Because I could say one, okay, you guys, don't be afraid of people. Realize Jesus has all of your approval. He's done it all for you. And I could go right into that for you and help you in that regard. But there's this deeper thing going on in our passage that I hope you saw. It's a good concern in the passage. We need purity or else God will get angry at us. We could, we could really not just be afraid of losing our rest. We could actually lose our rest. We could do it because like this in the camp, there might be sin that happens. And if you don't have good obedience, forget your rest. And you see what that does? It starts to pull in. Their concern was, oh no, hey, if these things are going on and this obedience as they thought about it wasn't happening, then God was going to remove his favor. (laughs) I laugh because if you actually are a student of the Old Testament at all, you can go down and look and see what happens because it's not these tribes on the other side of the river that had such trouble. It was all Israel. Just go to Judges. The problem's not across the Jordan. The problem's right there in the people that are accusing, right? They're all going down. None of them obey. But isn't that a concern? Maybe God isn't really for me unless I continue to accomplish the things that I need to accomplish. That's the thought. That's the thought that actually invades us. That's the thought we live under a lot. That's a thought that doesn't accept the rest of Jesus for me. It instead says, no, I'm going to continue to be in this system of judgment because that's just how I think. I think that if I'm not doing the right things, then God isn't for me. If I am doing the right things, then God is for me. That's, there's a word for that in the Bible. It's called law. If you obey, blessings. If you don't obey, cursings. That they stood on the mountain and they yielded back and forth, right? We live under that. Even even though we say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is my rest, but then functionally we're over here saying, but wait, unless we accomplish these things and do these things, then God's kind of, God's angry. God, God could get angry at me. This is where it becomes very instructive and helpful for you and I in the New Testament. Where you and I step back and you say, wait, Israel didn't do these things. They actually failed. They didn't. They weren't examples for us of this is how you do it, guys. They, they accomplished it all, and when they did well, God blessed them. And so they, boy, good thing Phineas is there. He's ready to stab the people through the stomach if they do the wrong thing. Guess what? You'd have a hole in your stomach. Why? Because you don't keep the law. The whole point of the gospel becomes it is Christ and Christ alone who does it all. It is his perfect life lived for you. It is his death on the cross done for you. It is his blood given for you. It is his finished work complete. This is the actual gospel, right? So now I say by trusting this righteousness, it gets given to me. So now I have it. I can't lose it by me. It's not now. This is the fear, right? This is the fear that creeps in to take away that rest of it's been done for you. The fear that creeps in is if I take a wrong step, God will get me. It won't go well for me. 
And so we get this little paralyzed life. Where what's the will of God for my next step? Because if I step wrong, then uh-oh. That's called fear. That takes away your rest. The rest that God declares he has for you in Christ. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. There's one way to lose it, and it's this way. It's Let me just read this again. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. That's a rest from your works. That's a trust that the work has been done. That's a resting in the finished work of Jesus. Responding to it, yes, love people, do it. But loving people is not your meritorious work. It's your response to the gospel. But look what Hebrews 4.11 says. We'll finish after this. But this is important for you to see. Let us therefore, because there remains a rest, people of God in Christ, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Oh, disobedience gets my fingers tingling. And I start to think, okay, there it is. You need to make sure you obey or else God will get mad at you. No, 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 no. That's not what this is saying, right? You understand that? You understand that his argument through Hebrews chapter 4 is this, that you would strive to enter that rest, not in the fall, but the same sort of disobedience. What sort of disobedience is he talking about? This is a very special sort. It's the sort of the people of Israel in Numbers when they said to God, you just brought us out here to kill us. What's that? I think God gets angry at me based on my actions, based on who I am. I see this, this idea of God not as him having favor for me in Christ, but as it based on what I do, based on my... This is the disobedience, you guys, that we fall into, that we actually base our relationship with God on how we've done moment by moment in our behavioral response. When God bases his relationship with you on Jesus. By the way, that's much better. Because, because I'll tell you what, Jesus' love is perfect. Talk about perfect obedience, right? You need perfect obedience. I, I'm, I love my wife. But I don't love my wife like Jesus loves me. I love my kids when they're sleeping. When they wake up, I kind of love them too, but you know. They're angels when they're asleep. But Jesus loves me all the time. Jesus loves me when I'm a sinner. The idea of my response is a response to the wonder of what's been given to me, the rest that has been declared, not going back under this particular kind of disobedience, which says, no, God, no, no. What I want is I want an obedience that says, I, I want it to be based on, on, on me doing good so you'll be happy with me, me being bad so that you won't be happy with me, and, and I'll make sure that we do good. And this brings you right back into the Old Testament, right back into Phineas, and right back into the situation they were at. Because they're afraid, you see, that, that, that by the disobedience of someone else even, their whole congregation could be impure. And therefore God's, God's favor would be taken away because, you know what? God can't have impurity among him. Work on that for about ten minutes with people around you. And if you bared your soul, about the impure things you have done and the impurities that remain because we haven't been glorified yet. There's no way we would ever have any favor from God, ever. The only hope we have is that our purity is not in us, it's in someone else. You know that, right? 
Your purity is not in you and whether or not you looked at pornography or you, you said a harsh word or you were mad at your kids or you didn't do all the things you should do. It cannot be that that are the things that, 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 that establishes your rest. It must be the finished work of Jesus. It must be the solid piece that's already there. It must be the piece that you trust in, not the piece that you earn. It must be the piece that you respond to, not the piece that you work towards. It must be that or you have nothing. And, and, and therefore, that shapes everything about us because now we have rest. And guess what? It can't be taken away. It can't be taken away by your circumstances, no matter how hard it is, because difficult things will come. Why? Because your rest is not in those. You don't read the tea leaves and say, oh, I have cancer. God must be sad with me. God's not sad with you. Not in Christ, he's not. So if you trust in Jesus, your rest is sure and certain, and you can live your life responding to the reality that though your health may fail, though your family may fail, though the world crumbles around you, you have a sure rest. That rest is in Christ. And, and the things that will take it away are fear of man as you worry about what other people think, and, and a wrong fear of God as you don't believe the gospel. And I want to say one more word and then we're done for today. It's this word. I just gave you this, this idea, I hope, that you have a solid rest. And the things that steal it are these two things. So you could walk away going, okay, Dax, great. I'm going to work on not being robbed of my rest by those two things. And I just want to say this. You're going to fail. Because that's just another law. To say, do better, don't have anxiety, you have rest, so have it, hold on to it. But in the reality is, the, the, the whole gospel idea is that you fail in it. And the one who actually lifts you up again, who picks you up again, is Christ. So when you fail and you have anxiety again, and you stumble again into wrong thinking about, oh, being meritorious towards God, you come back to the cross. <laughs> this is the path. You come back again, not to say, Lord, I'll try doubly hard and I'll get stronger. But, Father, oh, Jesus, I'm weak. Help me to see again the wonder of your mercy. Help me again in my weakness that you would be strong. So, I'm with you in a church of broken people. Not in a church of strong people. Gather on the cross. Because that's the only rest we have. And even though we fall into this idea of fearing man or fearing even wrongly the wrath of God for us who are Christians, that we might come again to the cross and remind each other again that our hope is in Jesus and he's done it all. Our rest is a diamond that we should hold on to in wonder. Let's pray.